Hello, my lovelies. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Listen Closely with me, your host, Bobby, where I talk all things true crime, paranormal, extraterrestrial, dark history, and unexplained phenomenon right here in the Lone Star State. If you haven't already, make sure you're following me on all my social medias to get extra tidbits about the topics I discuss, as well as updates and special featurettes like Missing Mondays. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at HTT Listen Closely. Also, make sure you subscribe to me on your favorite streaming provider to be updated when new episodes are released. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me those five stars and a review. Before we get too far in today's episode, I want to just real quickly say hello and thank you to all my brand new listeners that I recently received. I had a post that went, I mean, it's a little bit more viral than what my normal posts do. So it actually gained me a whole bunch of new listeners and followers. And I just want to say hi, and hopefully you're enjoying what you're listening to so far. If you have any topics or anything specific you'd like me to discuss, please message me on my Facebook or Instagram, or you can also email me httlistenclosely at gmail.com. But without further ado, let's get into today's topic. Today we are talking about room 348 at the Elegante Hotel in Beaumont, Texas. Greg Flanagan was a normal 55-year-old Louisiana oil man who stayed at the Elegante Hotel in Beaumont, Texas during the week and lived and stayed in Louisiana on weekends. He was a man of routine, a creature of habit. He checked into the hotel smoked heavily and had candies at the ready for his sweet tooth. He loved his room to be cold and normally stayed to himself. Outside of the hotel, Flanagan was a successful businessman with many friends and a wife back home. All would change on September 15, 2010 in room 348 at the Elegante. Flanagan checked in but never checked out. What happened to Greg Flanagan on that fateful night? That question was left to be answered by Beaumont Police Department Detective Scott Apple, who was at the scene. Flanagan was immediately taken to the mental examiner to confirm what everyone had suspected death by natural causes, possibly a heart attack. You see, an hour after he checked in, Greg Flanagan was found dead, the TV still on, AC off, over $1,000 in cash in the room, and candy, soda, and cigarettes nearby. Because of all this and how Flanagan was found, no one on scene had actually suspected anything other than natural causes. However, Tommy Brown, the medical examiner, would rule out everyone's unsubstantiated cause of death, for Flanagan's body showed severe trauma with internal damage, including broken ribs, lacerations to the liver and scrotum, and a hole to the heart. Therefore, Brown ruled his cause of death a homicide. So Scott Apple, the detective, had to establish a timeline. It was later found out that the circuit breaker in the room needed to be repaired after Flanagan tried to make popcorn. This had blown the circuit and would affect not only room 348, which was Flanagan's, but also room 349 and the rooms directly below those two. Electricians from Wisconsin who were in town for work at one of the nearby refineries, occupied room 349 and were questioned about the day of Flanagan's death. Each man could give no real clues as they had hardly saw the victim. They all admitted to have been drinking that night, 
but they were very cooperative. And again, they said that they had hardly saw this victim and he was pretty quiet. Even the handyman who had fixed the breaker had an airtight alibi. This case seemed to hit a dead end with no real clues. In fact, it wasn't until Greg Flanagan's widow, Susie, was so desperate for answers that she hired a former New York Police Department, now private investigator, Ken Brennan, who resided in Florida. Once Brennan was on this case, he needed to eliminate Susie as a suspect. After a lengthy conversation, he did just that and then made his way to Beaumont to review the files, to visit the scene, and look closer at the victim himself. So thanks to the money that was left behind and the room largely left untouched, Brennan eliminated robbery as a motive. While looking into Mr. Flanagan's personal life, he found no real enemies. In fact, everyone seemed to like Greg Flanagan. So the only real leads were in the security footage, the crime scene photos, and the knowledge of the broken circuit. Though it seemed like a dead end, the private investigator, Brennan, discovers a major breakthrough in the case. Brennan and Detective Apple revisited the hotel room and had the crime scene photos and autopsy results in hand. See, Greg Flanagan liked his room cold. This was known. Brennan theorized when the circuit breaker blew, the air conditioner was shut down as well. And after all, it was September and very hot in this area. So this actually helped them fix the time of death. The cigarette that was found in Greg Flanagan's hand ruled out any scenario of his body being moved or placed how it was found. If you think about it, no killer would take the time to light it, place it in the man's hand, and tuck it under the body. What was more likely is that Greg had lit the cigarette himself, gotten up from the bed, headed towards the door and shifted the cigarette from his right hand to his left hand in order to grab the door handle with his dominant right hand. Somehow, Greg had been quietly minding his own business seconds before he was killed. So this leads us back to the occupants of 349, the out-of-town electricians. Was it possible while drinking that evening they confronted Greg at the doorway, exchanged words, maybe kicked him to death? For this, they needed to pay the medical examiner another visit. Dr. Brown did agree that a severe beating could have been the cause of his blunt force trauma, and the lacerations on the scrotum could have been from a hard kick from an assailant wearing steel toe boots. However, you have to remember about that hole they found in his heart. In either case, this was enough to have Brennan and Apple interview co-workers of the out-of-town electricians. Remember, they were working at a local refinery, so they had plenty of fellow co-workers with them that may not have knew them personally, but knew them enough to be interviewed for this. A lead would come from a crew foreman who remembered hearing something about a gun going off in a boarding house. Now, obviously, a boarding house and a hotel are two completely different things, but this was just another small detail that led Brennan to take another trip back to the hotel. So both men searched the room for any indication of a bullet hole, but had no luck. Frustrated and about to give up, Brennan spotted a small repair job on the wall alongside the closed door that led to the room 349. When security opened up room 349, there was no mistaking another hole in the wall that, oddly enough, had been repaired 
with toothpaste. Once they measured both sides, Brennan knew a bullet had gone through the wall, and they were close to solving this case. All that was left was calling the men from room 349 back in for questioning. Two out of the three men were brought in for questioning, and the truth would come out soon after. Tim Steinmetz, Lance Mueller, and Trent, another co-worker, were drinking beer in the room. Lance asked Trent to retrieve his whiskey and a 9mm pistol from the car. Lance took the gun, pointed it at Tim, who dropped to the ground, and then towards Trent when it went off. Trent was spared, but they noticed a hole in the wall. Lance, freaking out, took the gun back out to his car while Trent went back to his room upset. They went to the bar, but when they returned, they heard a man cough in the room next door. And even through all this, the two men decided not to investigate this any further, and it wasn't until the police had came to question them that they realized what had actually happened. If these men would have gone and checked on room 348, Greg Flanagan might still be alive today. But unfortunately, they did not. On October 29th, 2012, Lance, the man who was handling the gun, was sentenced to 10 years for manslaughter. And I know what you're probably thinking. How could a homicide detective, a medical examiner, and so many others be misled by the cause of death? I mean, they said he died of natural causes at the scene, and then when the medical examiner had gotten him, he thought it was clearly a severe beating. So how could they have missed all these signs and it actually be from a gunshot. Well, it was all just misinterpreted. When the bullet hit Greg Flanagan, it caused severe internal bleeding, and the lacerations were actually at the entry point of the wound. And because of this being a 9mm bullet, it was just one of those things that it was just overlooked. And I don't want anybody to say that the team that worked on this case was just ill-prepared or not skilled enough to recognize this because this team worked extremely hard to make sure that they caught the killer. I mean, Detective Apple did not give up on this case and, you know, he tried to just piece things together, but was unfortunately unable to by himself. So luckily, Mrs. Flanagan hired the private investigator, Brennan, to come in. And along with Apple and the rest of the Beaumont investigators and medical examiner, they were actually able to piece together enough to where Mr. Flanagan and his family could find justice. And I just want to point that out, that... While you may not be seeing things, you know, through the public eye or even as a family, you might not be seeing these, you know, behind the scenes working. All of these detectives and cops and everything, they all want to see the same thing. They all want to see that justice be served and that people who go around killing people or doing whatever bad things that they are brought to justice. So I just want people to realize that and, you know, be patient. We've seen it throughout time that some cops are crooked, but you can't just write off every single cop. I mean, I have plenty of cop friends, and they're some of the most amazing, kind-hearted, beautiful people, 
that you would ever meet. So while you might not be seeing things working up front, just know that they are working. They are trying to find these leads. They are trying to get the job done and find this justice. They just cannot show you their full hand just yet. And I'm actually working on a couple of different cases where they're actually live cases happening right now, but you know, there's only so much that can be said to the public or to certain parties. When the police give press releases, they can only give so much information because they don't want to scare off, you know, the suspect. They don't want to tip off, hey, we're this close and make the person run away. So it is actually best for them to, you know, don't show your full hand yet. And that's just what I want to leave y'all with today. Just because you may not see something being handled the way you would want it and in the time you would want it, just know that almost all of these cops are working very hard to find justice for you and for the victim. And I ask that you please be patient with them. And if you happen to have any kind of tips or leads or anything, even the smallest amount of detail that you think may not actually help, go ahead, come forward, tell these different departments. I mean, you might think it's not that big of a detail, but that could be the missing link that they need to convict, to find these suspects, to find justice for these families. So even if you think just seeing a small little tiny thing is not worth it, go ahead and report it. That's all I'm going to say right now is just if you see something, say something. And if you can do only one thing, always remember to listen closely.